Welcome to the Veterans Day edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm joined by Ira Kaufman. We're both Hall of Fame voters and we'll soon be joined by another Hall of Fame voter. That would be Hall of Fame General Manager Bill Polian, who was named to the 48-member board this summer. That, of course, that we just heard was the president's own Marine Corps band playing Stars and Stripes Forever. And Ira, uh, I mentioned Veterans Day because that's a big deal around my house. And I think it is uh, with my brother and sister too, because we grew up in a military family. Simple question. It's called Veterans Day now. Do you know what it what once was called? In fact, uh, it was called Armistice Day by Woodrow Wilson on November 11th, 1919, a year after the end of World War I. And then in 1938, it was signed into legislation, making it a legal holiday. Just going to give you a little education here. This is for Ian Glendon, also our producer. Um, and then seven years later, at the end of World War II, there was a veteran named Benjamin Weeks. I haven't heard of him, but he had a noteworthy contribution because he had the idea of, let's include all veterans, not just World War I veterans, let's include all veterans. And Congress thought about it and thought about it. And then in 1954, which was eight and a half years after Weeks celebrated Veterans Day, and he celebrated it every year. Uh, it was signed into uh, law as a national holiday, as Veterans Day. And because it's a Veterans Day, obviously there's, there's no postal delivery. Uh, so most banks are closed and, and some workers and students are off, but not us, uh-uh, not us, not here, no way. But before I get to some football subjects, I wanna ask you a question. I think in some areas of the country, maybe down where you are, it's not so much Veterans Day this, this week or today as it is Masters Week, right? I mean, that's a big deal in Tampa, Masters. It's being played now. We've got weird things going all around the country. It's 70 degrees in New England. You got a hurricane bearing down on you and we're playing the Masters two weeks before Thanksgiving? You know, Clark, I, I got to go to one Masters for United Press. I believe it was 1987. Maybe Larry Mize, I think, ended up winning it. And I heard so much about it with, uh, you know, these, uh, these sandwiches and, and the wax paper. Of course, I go right to the sandwiches, Clark. Right to the sandwiches. I don't go to the azaleas. I don't go to the great golf. Right to the sandwiches. And um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you, you could tell, you could just feel the history, no question about it. Uh, I was looking for the ghosts of Arnold Palmer and, and Jack Nicholas, but it was very exciting. I only got to do it once. Uh, but Art Spander, our yes. friend out in California, his streak of 54 consecutive Masters is going to be snapped this year uh, because of COVID and other reasons. And a shout out to, uh, to Arthur, a good man who's uh, done a lot of great work. He is a good man. And a football note about Artie. I used to work with Artie or work alongside him when he was at the Examiner in San Francisco and I was at the Mercury News in San Jose. Great guy. Great guy to deal with. Class act. And they'll probably be looking for the ghost of Art Spander at the Masters this year, Ira. But at Super Bowl, the 2017 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 51. Do you remember this? <laughs> They have me, I think it was media day, but anyway, it was an interview with Kyle Shanahan, who's then the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. And he gets up from his interview and looks for his backpack and it's missing. And he says, <laughs> I've got to have that because I've got my iPad in there. We've got our game plan. We've got everything. There were, there was information there for $30,000 worth of tickets for friends and family he goes, my gosh, what's going on? course the suspicion was that eh, maybe bill belichick pilfered it you know but it wasn't it was Artie. he picked it up thinking it was his backpack 
And he found Art's backpack instead, contacted him, and he said, do you have mine? And Art goes, I don't know. He goes, well, check it. And sure enough, he did. And 30 minutes later, they made the exchange. A footnote to football history. Anyway, Art's Bandit, you're going to be missed. As I mentioned, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Hall of Fame general manager and selector Bill Pullian later in the show. But first, I do want to go around the league with you, Ira. I mentioned uh, what's going on in, in Tampa in terms of weather. What's the bigger story down there now, the weather or the Bucks, and what happened last weekend? Buck fans are really shaken up, Clark, uh, because they never made a move Sunday night. You know, Clark, we watch all these games and a team gets off to a 14-0 lead, 21-0. Well, then the other team scores 10 points. They make a game of it. It never happened. It never happened Sunday. It never got any better after the first uh, couple of drives. And the Buck fans are very uh, – concerned about the trenches Brady took a lot of hits Clark that's very alarming if you're a Buck fan and in the biggest game of the year that they've been waiting seven weeks to avenge they didn't show up so Buck Nation is in mourning right now Clark mourning you know the funny thing is our when we had Anthony Beck on here last week I really felt at that time the Bucks were the best team in the NFC. I really did. And I thought they were going to come out and make a statement. And they did. The statement was, we're not as good as New Orleans. <laughs> but I think when you look around the NFC, I think every team is beatable. There, there's no clear-cut winner. And maybe you can make a case for New Orleans, A, because of what happened last weekend in both games against Tampa. But B, because if you look at their schedule, it's really soft from here on in. They play one opponent with a winning record, and that's Kansas City in December 20th. But who's your favorite in the NFC halfway through the season? Do you have a, 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 a winner here? Well, it's hard for me. I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, a Green Bay team that I saw lose 38-10 to 10 at Raymond James Stadium um, has a soft schedule, a soft division, uh, and I believe they've already uh, beaten the – I think they beat the Saints. I, I believe, or uh, uh, maybe in week two or three. I think they did. And so that would give them a leg up. Uh, Clark, it's all about getting that bye week. And yeah, there's only right. one team, only one team per conference right now, unless things change with COVID, that's going to get that bye week. So that's why everybody's scrambling for the best record. Green Bay's got a shot, Clark. They got a shot. You know, somebody brought something up to me that I thought was plausible. And they said they thought the difference between New Orleans and the Bucks was that New Orleans was a team that had been playing together and was used to playing with each other. And the Bucs look like a collection of individuals, like a so-called dream team that just has nothing really going for it. Whereas I thought two or three weeks early, whenever they played the Raiders, mm -hmm. I thought that was who they mm -hmm. are and, and will be. They look like the New England Patriots in that game. I thought that was their best game and I thought they were going to take it upward and onward. Mm -hmm. But just throwing it out there, and I'm not trying to connect the knots, but just throwing it out there. That was Antonio Brown's first game with him. So I don't know if it's fair to, to question what impact he may or may not have on that team, but they just look disinterested in that game. I think that's a fair point, Clark. It's a fair point. Um, and as far as that other theory, Clark, <clears throat> about the Bucks being a collection of parts that, you know, that, <clears throat> that, might, that might be legit for week one at New Orleans, but it, it's not legit for week nine. Not, not, not that – that's not a good enough excuse. Uh, they're not as good as we thought they are. <laughs> I buy it. I like it. <laughs> well, as you know, last week we had election day here on this show and we did our votes then. But um, funny thing is, guys, 
they're still counting votes. I mean, it looks like the election's still going on. It is for one guy at least, but they're still counting in uh, Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, I think. Um, so I guess in, in keeping with that, we might as well open the polls again, right? And we're gonna open the polls again and, and vote on something different, like our mid-season awards, yes. And this time, we're gonna get, as we did last week, we're gonna get our producer, Ian Glendon, involved in our mid-season awards. Now, there, there are no mail-in ballots. There's no recount on this. There are no claims of fraud, guys. There are gonna be no claims of fraud. Transparency is here and now for all of our listeners, okay? So, you got are it. you ready to go? Ready. Ira, you ready to go? Ian, you ready to go? Ready to rock and roll. Ian's ready to vote too. Okay, here we go. Mid-season awards for the eye test for two, except it's the eye test for three right now. First up, Offensive Player of the Year, Ira. Dalvin Cook, Minnesota running back. Clark averaging six yards a carry, not five, six. 13 touchdowns, seven games, and... The Vikings are going to ride him a long way. That's a point I'm going to make later in this thing. My put, my pick, Dalvin Cook. Ian Glendon. I got a running back too, but I'm going Alvin Kamara. Leads both his team in both receptions and rushes. Obviously, uh, Michael Thomas being out, um, he's taken on a bigger role, and I think he's thrived. But I do like the Dalvin Cook pick too. Ian, you might want to look for hanging chads here because I'm taking Dalvin Cook as well, <laughs> not Alvin Kamara. And I agree with Ira. Listen, I'm in a family fantasy football league, and all I know about Dalvin Cook is he's got more touchdowns than anyone, more rushing yards than anyone, more yards from scrimmage than anyone. I'm losing that league. So he's a reason to watch the Minnesota Vikings. Next up, defensive player of the year. Ira? Uh, you talk about a resurrection story. Miles Garrett for me. Clark. He's he, he's wrecking game plans. Uh, he's in the backfield. He's got nine sacks, four forced fumbles. Clark, he has forced seven turnovers wow. all by himself this season. Miles Garrett, who's been repudiated for character issues, has made a huge comeback in Cleveland. Miles Garrett, gentlemen. In Glendon. You know, I, I got to agree. Miles Garrett, I thought Aaron Donald at first, and I thought, okay, am I getting lazy? No, Aaron Donald's a, an incredibly great football player, and he makes an impact every single, single time he's on the field. But, uh, you know, Ira said it great. Miles Garrett's just having a great season. He has a, He's having a great impact, and this is after uh, a not-so-great end to his season last year. So, Ian, I'm getting lazy. Aaron Donald. <laughs> Aaron Donald, that's my choice. You, you can never go wrong with Aaron Donald, yeah. Clark. You can no, never go no. wrong with Aaron Donald. All I know is a defensive tackle. He's got pressure stats that are like, or better than more outside pass rushers. So I love Aaron Donald, uh, two-time defensive player of the year. I think Ira, right? I mean, yeah, yes. he can never go. So I'm getting lazy. Anyway, <laughs> you guys win. Um, offensive rookie of the year, Ira Kaufman. I'm going to go with Justin Herbert uh, of the Chargers and uh, Clark. Uh, he could have easily have won three or four games that the Chargers lost through no fault of his own. If Anthony Lynn knew what he was doing with clock management and a couple of his decisions, uh, nobody thought this kid was going to be this good. Nobody. Coming out of the draft, you know, hey, he's the fourth or fifth best quarterback. He's lighting it up, Clark. He's doing everything right. Justin Herbert with his 104.7 passer rating. Ian Glendon, 
Uh, if you would have asked me last week, I might have said Joe Burrow because uh, I got I got some predictions uh, going that you know he's going to break some rookie records and that kind of puts you in line to win those rookie of the year awards. But I got to agree with Ira again. I mean, Justin Herbert, twelve minutes or whatever it was preparation time before game one, he was just given the reins and he's 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 taken them and he's looked fantastic doing it. It just hasn't translated in the win loss column yet. Unfortunately, you are a wise man, Mr. Glendon, a wise man. <laughs> Pardon me, but you guys are doing what you did to this podcast last week. You're turning it into the Tampa two. <laughs> I've got Joe Burrow. I'm sorry. I've got Joe Burrow. I, I love watching this guy play. When I saw him last year at LSU, I thought he was so accurate to me for one season. He was the most accurate quarterback for one season season i'd seen since kurt warner in 1999 he had every pass and, and he looks like he's doing that now um i agree herbert to me it's a photo finish herbert's right there with him but this guy is the best i've ever seen in cincinnati since greg cook in 1969 and ian if you don't know who he is look him up greg cook was a great quarterback before he got killed there and suffered a torn rotator cuff. Clark, if this was uh, clark if this was an election you'd be drummed out in the first seven minutes it's over <laughs> Yeah, but I'd be demanding a recount. <laughs> okay, we're moving on to the big awards here. Coach of the Year, Ira, who do you got? You know, uh, on on this podcast, I've been clear about my love for Mike Tomlin. I think he's fantastic. However, there's a however. I got to go with Brian. I got to go with Brian Flores. It's going to be a Florida guy. doing a fantastic job with the Dolphins. Um, and Clark, the rare Belichick disciple that has succeeded when he leaves the, the uh, realms of Foxborough. Ian, I'm going with Flores. <laughs> and, and I am agreeing. And, and, and again, I, I knew it as soon as he started going. Well, look, okay, Mike Tomlin, I, I think he's doing a fantastic job up there. But I, I love the, the Flores signing the, the moment he was hired by Miami. This wasn't a blind devotion to Belichick. I just thought he had... He had what was right for a head coach, and uh, we saw it last year. Even amidst all the losing, he had that team, and uh, all that hard work's paying off now. So right now, i I, I got to go with Brian Flores. The Tampa 2 lives on. <laughs> Guys, I, I listen, I love Brian Flores, and Ian, I like him especially for what happened in that last game last season. You remember that up in New England? Mm. They're supposed to be tanking for Tua, right? They go into New England where the Patriots have everything to gain, and he won that game with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Nevertheless, I don't live in Florida, so I'm not a homer, guys. I'm not a homer. I'm going outside the state. Mike Tomlin, he's 8-0 for the first time in Steelers history. None of those great teams in the 70s that won four Super Bowls never went 8-0. 76, they went uh, 7-0, never went 8-0. And here's the clincher. This guarantees his 14th straight win, a 14th straight year without a losing season. That's incredible i mean his entire length of career in, in pittsburgh as a head coach never had a losing season about time he gets something for it i'm giving him coach of the year all right guys mvp ira what do you got oh, i didn't even know you had mvp on here clark uh I, I gotta go with russell wilson i do and i'll tell you why not only is he great he didn't have a great game last week but he's great yeah uh, but here's the clincher clark in your words here's the clincher their defense is awful. Yeah. 
It's absolutely awful. I think it might be historically bad it's in terms there. of a pass defense. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, they're probably going to win uh, a pretty darn good division with the Rams and the Cardinals. Russell Wilson is the guy until I see him getting knocked off his perch. Okay, and who you have? I got to agree, although I think it's starting to get there's there's a log jam now between three or four guys you mentioned russell had a bad game brady had a bad game rogers had a bad game a couple weeks ago um you know throw patrick mahomes in there i'm not going to get into that we only have a certain amount of time but uh right now as it stands it's still russell wilson for me yeah we're gonna make it a clean sweep it's russell wilson for me too um i was right they have the worst defense yet they're on top of a tough division and they're on top because of this guy he's on pace throw 56 touchdown passes which would be an nfl record and you look at what that team's done they've scored 30 or more points in seven of those eight games two reasons one they had to because the defense is so bad and two (laughs) russell wilson okay we're winding it down biggest surprise ira well i've already said it the dolphins the dolphins clark um fourth in the league in fewest points allowed the dolphins there's that Flores effect again. Um, and fourth, Clark, this is even more startling. Point differential, which I think is a very big stat. Kansas City's number one in the league. Uh, the Bucks were up there till the fiasco. Uh, they're number four. They're number four. They're ahead of some really good teams in point differential. They're not winning by three points most of the time. So the Dolphins... Uh, to me, they're the surprise team. Ian, if you uh, agree with me, uh, the pe- listeners of this podcast is going to start uh, saying that we collaborate together. Not, oh, only, <laughs> not only do I not dis- uh, not agree with you, I almost gave you a double negative there. Uh, I'm actually going to the West what do you Coast. Say, Ian? I'm going to the West Coast, and I'm going for a player. I'm going Derek Carr. I, I Honestly, I thought he was just finished. And he's had a darn good season at this point. The Raiders are five and three, and he's he's playing as good a almost as good a football as he was in 2016 when he was in the conversation for MVP around this time. So I got Derek Carr. I like it. I like it. But Ian, remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Miami <laughs> plays nationwide, right, Ira? I'm going. What do you with, got? Uh, what do you got, Mister Judge? Oh, I got Miami. Got? I've got Miami because they've already won as many games through the first eight starts as they did all of last season as you mentioned i do think brian flores is a legitimate coach of the year candidate and i don't know that anyone would have said that before the season okay biggest disappointment ira because of the circumstances meaning the guy in the hoodie it's got to be the new england patriots at three and five uh that great debate who's more important brady or belichick well right now it's a it's a second round knockout for brady even though he didn't play well the other night. Um, three and five. Clark, they're looking They're looking at a big rebuild program in Foxborough. Right. Right. And because it's Belichick, three and five, I think that's the biggest surprise for me. What do you got, Ian? Uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I, I got to go. Biggest disappointment for me, it's got to be the Falcons again. Uh, I saw a stat, not this weekend, but I want to say last weekend, and their offensive uh, personnel was just littered with first-round picks. Defensive personnel, talent. You just got rid of a uh, first-round pick from two years ago, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, this team has been littered with talent for so many years, and they've just continually managed to disappoint. And they almost 
almost blew yet another big lead this past weekend. They barely escaped, but they almost blew it again. I've got neither one of those uh, guys. I've got the NFC East. You know, nobody has a winning record there. And six wins. Yes, Ira, six wins could, could win that division. In short, in this division can be summed up in three words. Stink. Stank. Stunk. <laughs> you got it. We come to our last category. Ira, the last one. Bold prediction for the second half of the season. What do you have? I might as well end on a strong note, Clark. Your Minnesota Vikings finish 9-7 and seven and make the playoffs behind Dalvin Cook's 1,800-yard season and a defense that's getting a little bit better. The Rams falter, and the Vikings move up and steal that final wildcard spot. Hey, How do you like since, that, Glendon? How yeah, do you like since that? When did they, since when did they become my Minnesota Vikings? Please. <laughs> I thought I would just throw that in there. What do okay, you got, Ian? Well, I, I'm kind of glad that I, I ultimately shifted from my original bold prediction because I was going to say the Patriots making the playoffs, and I was like, is that bold? It kind of is. But my bold <laughs> prediction, and this is coming off the heels of one of the worst games I've ever seen a, a team play collectively, and we're talking about the Bucks. They will not lose a game for the rest of the season. Whoa! Whoa! They will Whoa. not lose a game. And you know where? Because look. There's some history, and this is in spite of coaching. I'm not. I'm not giving the coaching credit here. I mean, they're going to do everything possible to to curb that. I'm talking about the coaching. Um, every time Brady, and it doesn't happen often. Every time he's suffered a loss of this type of magnitude, it has led to a Super Bowl championship. At the very least, a playoff. This type of stuff affects him differently. I don't think this team uh, is going to let that affect them the rest of the season. I don't get them uh, losing a game for the rest of the year. That's my bold prediction. Our, we may have to revisit that one next week. <laughs> I might be okay, out next bold, week. <laughs> my bold prediction is very short and sweet. Ari, you'll like it. The Dolphins make the playoffs. The Patriots don't. Nice. Nice. And you know what? I've got one more. My bold prediction for the second half of this show, that we're going to sit down with Hall of Fame general manager and now voter Bill Polian. And you know what? I like our chances. I do. You're listening to the eye test for two on fullpressradio.com. Don't go away. Well, we promised you Hall of Fame GM, and now, yes, now Hall of Fame voter Bill Polian, and he's with us as GM of the Bills. You certainly know him. Uh, Panthers, you knew who he was. Colts, absolutely you knew who he was. Bill was a six-time executive of the year, and in 2015, he became one of two members, along with Ron Wolf, who we had on this program two or three weeks ago, of the first ever Hall of Fame contributor class. And now, well, yep, now he is here with us. And Bill, thanks so much for joining us. And secondly, congratulations on joining the Hall's Board of Selectors. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Bill, I say that, congratulations, but <laughs> you might regret it after you hear the pushback <laughs> we and you get from angry fans. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> that it's not just a job, it's an adventure. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly right. That's our motto from now on. Um, we had Tony Dungy, who's also now a member of the Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, on here about a month ago. And we asked him how significant longevity and all decade status were to him 
in choosing Hall of Famers. So I'll ask you the same question. Longevity, all decade status, how important are they to you? I think longevity um, to me is, is really important uh, because if you, if you study um, the people who are in the hall, and I had the advantage of being a member of the panel that selected the top 100 team and a member of the panel that selected the centennial class. So I, I did a lot, a lot of studying on people who are in the hall, all the way back to the, the people that played in the 30s. Bill Belichick and, and Ron Wolf and I and Joel Bussert were the panel that essentially vetted those people. Ron may have told you about it. It was a great experience. Um, and so my, my feeling is that longevity counts a lot because if you look at people in the hall, generally speaking, in fact, overwhelmingly, there are people that had long careers. Now you can talk about why and, and how, that's another issue. But I, I think you have, to, you have to give it credence. All decade, not so much. I, I think that's a lesser, um, that's a lesser benchmark in, in, in my mind than longevity and production. The question is, how do you judge production with offensive and particularly offensive linemen? Bill, in 2017, um, we inducted two guys who had short careers. One was Terrell Davis, who had three and a half sensational seasons. Another was Kenny Easley, uh, safety for the Seattle Seahawks. Do you think we changed the playing field with those two elections so that it opened the door for others with relatively short careers? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, in Kenny Easley's case, I, I, to me, he was a dominant player for the time that he played. Uh, there was no question that uh, you had a game plan against him. Let, let me back up and say that for years, I have felt that the first criteria, at least in my mind, for a Hall of Famer is when I was a pro scout, when I was a, uh, a, a guy that, that was, was doing uh, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, scouting work, um, you know, if, I, if we had to defend the guy, if we had to account for him, if we had to take him out of the game, then that to me was, was reason enough uh, to say uh, that, uh, you know, we, we, this is a dominant player. To me, that's the first test. And in Kenny Easley's case, he certainly passed it. I, I wasn't quite sure about the running back, but he did have three and a half very dominant years. Yep. Bill, I got a, uh, Bill, uh, a quick list of, of names for you, Bill. Um, Kyler Murray, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, Deshaun Watson, maybe even Justin Herbert. Bill, these guys can move. They move. And while you had Jim Kelly in Buffalo, you also drafted uh, Manning and, and Kerry Collins. Bill, so my question is, uh, is this trend going to continue? How does it affect scouting quarterbacks? And can pocket passers down the line, Bill, uh, survive in the NFL? <laughs> it's interesting. I asked a friend of mine this morning, have we seen with Brady and Manning the last of a, the last of a style of players coming into the league? The answer is maybe. Uh, 
Now, all of those guys are different in, in, in different ways. They're not all the same, but they are all, quote, athletic. They can move. They play quarterback in different ways. But that aside, uh, I think there's no question that the wave of the future is the athletic quarterback because, as Bill Parcells said to me many years ago, we are captive of what the colleges send us. And the colleges are captive of what the high schools send us, send them. And the, the high schools are captive of what the seven on seven and junior high school league, principally seven on seven leagues, send them. So we are seeing passers coming up from the time they're 10 years old who are as accurate or more accurate than guys who played 10 years ago in the National Football League. Secondly, we're seeing, because there are no rushers in seven-on-seven, we're seeing very much smaller, shorter quarterbacks doing well. Who gets to be the quarterback? The guy with the best arm. When he's 11 years old, if he's five feet two, so what? There's no rush. If he grows up to be 5'10", like uh, Kyler Murray, he's still the quarterback. So we're seeing more and more of those guys coming through the system. And, uh, and, and that's going to be the wave of the future, no question about it. And it's made defensive coordinators' jobs infinitely more difficult. Bill, one more quick question for you. Um, and thanks for doing this, William. Um, Bill, you know, you love Bruce Arians like I love Bruce Arians. But, Bill, we don't always have to believe everything he says. And um, he went out of his way two weeks ago talking about uh, Antonio Brown saying uh, Tom Brady had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it, Bill. Now, you know, you and I know a little bit better. So my question is, you know, I think Brady, uh, to some degree, uh, is calling some shots in Tampa in terms of personnel, Bill. So I'm curious, uh, the great Peyton Manning, Bill, how was he in, in that regard? Um, and if he made a suggestion, would you at least try to, uh, to, to parse it out and listen to him? Well, the answer is absolutely yes, whether he had a suggestion about how to practice in training camp or something. Every year he'd come back from the Pro Bowl and sit down with me and have a completely filled legal pad with things that he saw at the Pro Bowl, things that to, to consider, et cetera, et cetera. So the answer to that is unequivocally yes. And that goes all the way back to Jim Kelly. Uh, Peyton particularly would ask me about the draft every year. Who do you like? You know, who is it that you feel like can help us? And, and then as soon as that guy was drafted, because we trusted each other and he trusted my judgment and that of the scouts that he'd, he'd be onto that guy and latch onto him quickly and start getting him ready to play. So uh, the answer to that is, is yes. And, and it, it wouldn't matter whether it was Antonio Brown or any, any other position. If I had a player on my team that had been with the guy before and I was contemplating adding him, I, I wouldn't even think about doing it without talking to that player first. Bill, can you remember any instance of a player that Peyton may have recommended that you took on? No, he didn't recommend very many players. Uh, it, was, it was the other way around. He was very interested in the draft. Okay. And, oh, who we were interested in. So he could go study them and find out what they can do. He, he loved Anthony Gonzalez. As a matter of fact, it's a great story. Uh, Anthony, in those days, the rookies couldn't come in until some specific time. And Anthony's was worse because Ohio State was one of about four uh, – uh, universities in the country where they hadn't finished class. So he couldn't even be in, in, in the premises after the draft. So Peyton would drive over to 
Ohio State three days a week and work out. <laughs> Oh, geez. <laughs> well, as uh, most people listening to this know, Bill Polian, and we're speaking with Bill Polian, was the GM who chose Peyton Manning in the 1998 draft. And we all know the story about Peyton Manning versus Ryan Leaf was closer than most people realize. But Peyton's a Hall of Fame candidate next year in 2021. And I know Bill doesn't want to discuss the pros and cons of particular candidates, and, and we're not going to ask him to. But Bill, I would like to ask you this. Can you tell us one thing about Peyton Manning that most people don't know? Well, they have an inkling. I'm going to put it that way. What you saw on Saturday Night Live and what you see in some of Peyton's places, such as the Elvis episode, if you watch those, is a very real part of his personality. He's a great practical joker. He's a great guy in terms of yanking your chain, you know, just to get a laugh out of people. He's got an incredible sense of humor. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We trained in, at Rose-Hulman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana, and the campus was separated on two levels. There was a pretty big, for Indiana, a mountain <laughs> that went up one side of the campus. And so we, we lived in a dormitory on the lower side and worked in, and ate in a building on the top side. So most of the staff had golf carts and I got up to go to breakfast one morning, my golf cart was gone. So I had to walk up all these steps, you know, eight flights of steps. So I walked into the camp office and I said to our director, Steve, I think somebody took my golf cart. And he said, yeah, there it is. He pointed out to a lake that was outside the building and there was a raft on the lake that the students <laughs> used to swim from. And there on the raft was my golf cart. So, <laughs> I immediately knew who the culprit was. <laughs> I went up to Peyton and I said, you know what? Some jerk took my golf cart and put it on a raft in the lake. He said, oh, who the heck would ever do that? <laughs> I How'd you get it back? We went out and got it with a, you know, wrestled it back with a, with a line. <laughs> well, that's it. I, uh, I also mentioned up top, Bill, that you, that you were the GM in Buffalo, as you were during their Super Bowl runs in the 1990s. The Bills could be making another run this year. I, I don't know how much you've seen of them, but I've seen enough to believe. Are, are you a believer in the Bills? I am with reservations. I, first of all, I root like the devil for them. Uh, you know, I, I still have a lot of friends in Buffalo. I correspond with them every week. They had, you know, they have their thoughts on the game and so forth. And and they've been tremendous. The organization's been tremendous, and I, I'm I'm friendly with with Brandon and and, and with uh, Sean. So I I root for my friends, and they're among them. Uh, I hope that the defense can measure up. Now they've had Milano out, who's a, really a big part of it. I don't know if they have quite enough pass rush right. when it comes to going against Kansas City. That that's my worry. But but if you're a Buffalo fan, you always worry about something. So but 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 everything else is 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 top shelf. And and what the quarterback has done with with Diggs, I mean that 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 was a great move. First of all, by Brandon, great trade. And secondly, he, he's coming on strong. So they, they've got enough there offensively. And and they're always going to be well coached defensively because of Sean and Leslie Frazier. But 
I, I hope they have enough pass rush when it's all said and done because that's who you're going to have to get after is Patrick Mahomes or Big Ben. Hey, Bill, um, I'm going to put a smile on your face, uh, William, because we do a segment called uh, I Was There, and it's games that Clark and I covered. And, Bill, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about the uh, playoff game, uh, January 11, 2004, Arrowhead. Uh, Bill, I got to think you've seen the hundreds and hundreds of games. Um, that one was different. That one was crazy, the 38-31 Colts over Chiefs. Bill, what are your takeaways from that game, Bill? Oh, it was it was like a you were living in a pinball machine, you know, up and down and up and down. <laughs> it just never stopped. I, those games take on a life of their own, whether they're playoff games or regular season games. We had one in Buffalo with the 49ers out in San Francisco. I think it was 48-45 or something like that. No one could stop anybody. And we went up and down and up and down. And it was who got the ball last or who was going to make a stop last. And fortunately, we were able to come out on top. But it, it was wild and woolly. And when you're invested in it, as a fan, you love it, right? Everybody loves those games. They're instant classics. As as a as an executive or a, a team member, I mean, that, that's instant indigestion. You're sitting there the whole day going, <laughs> oh, no. And <Again. laughs> And, Bill, uh, one thing I didn't realize till I started looking into the game, Bill, is that um, you guys didn't punt, but you didn't punt the week before uh, against Denver either. Bill, you went two playoff games in a row without punting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, we took care of Denver pretty handily. That There wasn't – uh, you know, that wasn't a nail-biter. This, this one was we, – we didn't punt because we were afraid to give them the ball back. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you kicked off to Dante Hall. I remember that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we kicked off to, to the other guy in the Super Bowl, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Devin Hester. That's right. Um, Bill, if, if Ira and I made you commissioner for a day, what change would you make if you had one change to make? Boy, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think I would crusade to have, if I, and if I had the unilateral power to do this, I would do it. I would, I would make sure there was a six-week strength and conditioning program, no coaching, nothing but strength coaches, and no interruptions in it whatsoever. And the same would apply to rookies. Maybe use four weeks for them because they're in a little bit. They, they, you know, they've been a, in a little bit of conditioning so that when we put guys on the field, they are 100% ready to go. I think if we did that, we would eliminate a lot of the soft tissue injuries that crop up in camp and then later become chronic throughout the season because of that. So that's the one thing I would mandate. If I could do it, come in March 1st, six weeks before you ever set foot in a classroom, on a practice field, nothing. Nothing but strength and conditioning. Don't you think a lot of those injuries this year are a result of uh, no offseason or limited offseason workouts because of the COVID pandemic? Well, we'll see. I mean, we're going to get the data here at the uh, we'll get the data pretty soon on the on the halfway mark. And then we'll get the data at the end of the season. The competition committee um, really, really goes through it. Uh, in 
in detail, and we'll see. We'll see what, what we can draw from it. But I, certainly, anecdotally, I think you're right. Okay, I've got one last one for you, Bill. Um, as you know, at the owners meeting yesterday, the league approved a resolution that will reward teams that lose minority staff members at coaching and GM positions with compensatory third round draft picks. Now I know something similar, and I say similar, wasn't the same thing was proposed uh, earlier this year. And I know Tony Dungy at that point had said, you know, I'm not really in favor of it, I think it's drastic. Uh, I don't think you should reward teams for doing quote unquote, the right thing, which is hiring the best people out there. Um, and, and often, you know, minority candidates. I'm wondering what, what um, feeling you have about that move? And I'm talking about uh, the resolution that we reward teams that lose minority staff members to head coach and GM positions with compensatory third round draft picks. And do you think it'll have an impact? And if so, what impact? Well, we'll find out. Um, I hope that it isn't abused. I worry a little bit that it might be. Um, and, and I'm not sure how, but uh, one thing I know whenever you pass a rule, somebody's always going to try and figure out a way to make it work for them uh, as opposed to the, the rest of the people involved. Um, I think that the effort's laudable. Um, time will tell. I think we have to take a hard look at it maybe four or five years down the road and say, is this working or is it being abused? We, we created, you'll remember this, both of you will because you're an old timer like me. We created the, uh, the exception for the assistant head coach, you know, in order for people to move up, right? In order right. to get opportunities to be interviewed. And that was aimed specifically at minorities many, many years ago. And the ink wasn't dry on the, on the, on the document before people began to abuse it and give out titles left and right to try and keep people from interviewing. So, uh, you know, I, I worry that this might be abused in, in, in the same way, but only time will tell. It's Bill, a lot of always. Oh, go ahead, Ara. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna thank Bill for uh, for uh, his time and, yep. and his insights. Uh, Bill, I look forward to uh, working with you on the committee. Uh, Bill, we might be doing it by a Zoom call, right, Bill? This year? Uh, I'm afraid so. I hope not, yeah. but I'm afraid so. Well, that's what I was gonna say, Bill. Thanks, first of all, so much for joining us. And I was gonna say. We'll see in Tampa for the Hall of Fame vote, but uh, maybe not. I, I think we are going to see all of us on Zoom instead. Uh, either way, we look forward to it. Same here. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Thanks so much, Bill. Thank you very much. That was Hall of Fame general manager and now Hall of Fame voter, Bill Polian. And Ira, um, would you would you have to say about that Peyton Manning story? Looked like something drawn from one of those commercials we see, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he still has extra Manning stories in his back pocket, Clark. He's um, he's just one of those great characters um, and, and about to be uh, have a bust in Canton. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa, Ira. I think you know what that means. You're next up for our I Was There segment. So, Ira, take us away. Where are we going? We're going to Arrowhead, my friend. Uh, January 11th, 2004, Clark. It's my son's eighth birthday, and I'm 1,200 miles away. That's a good father, Clark. That's a good father. But you got to do what you got to do. You got to keep the cash register ringing. Clark, the 13-3 and Chiefs, who were 8-0 at home that season, against the 12-4 and Colts, 7-1 and on the road. That is a delicious matchup. Final score, 
31 Indy. Put a smile on Bill Polian's face. Zero punts, Clark, by either team. One turnover. A Priest-Holmes fumble, which was probably the decisive play in the game. And there was a special teams touchdown. There you go. His rating has dipped down, Dan, to 139.5. Well, the rating that counts is 31. <laughs> Unstoppable. As the Broncos learned uh, last week in Indianapolis, here comes Dante Hall. 40. Got a chance to go. 50. Vanderjack to beat. Touchdown, Dante Hall. 92 yards, and they're going crazy. Was that you cheering in the press box, Ara? Well, I am an old Chiefs fan back from the Len Dawson days, but Clark, it was a great game. Uh, the Chiefs managed to lose despite a 92-yard kickoff return and 176 yards rushing by Priest Holmes. Um, and Clark, both offenses had three Hall of Famers. Three. Willie Rofe, Will Shields, Tony Gonzalez. Uh Marvin Harrison, Edron James, and the soon-to-be Peyton Manning. That's a lot of star power on that field, Clark. Yeah, absolutely it is. That was a terrific game. I remember watching it remotely uh, by TV, and I wasn't at the stadium, but I thought, what a fun game to be at. But, of course, Ira, you were there because you're at the most significant events ever. You're always there. You seem to show up for the catch. You're there for this. What is it? Got pulled. And, then, is it? and Clark, the next, uh, then two weeks later, I was there for the Super Bowl when uh, Ty Law intercepted Manning three times, Clark, and they really roughed up those indie receivers. Brilliant game plan by Belichick and crew. They really were physical. Uh, the weather was lousy, and the Patriots win by 10. Uh, another Vince Lombardi trophy for Belichick. Yeah, I was there too, but I, I I don't remember seeing you, Ira, because I think that's because you were in the front row. I was back in the concession. As it should be, Mr. Judge, <laughs> as it should. Hey, Ira, final thoughts. All right, here we go. Speaking of Belichick, now this goes out to New England fans. Clark, you, you people have been spoiled, and you're about to get your comeuppance because I declare – that this is not going to be a one-year blip. Are you directing this, this towards Ian Glendon? <laughs> this is a massive rebuild, I believe, that Belichick is looking at. Clark, if he has the stomach for it, and I'm not sure he doesn't want to go elsewhere at this point. Clark, I don't see where they have core players to build around. I don't see it. Uh, Edelman's 34. Gilmore's 30. The McCordys are 33. They don't have anything to build around, and their drafts have been lousy. Yep. So you get the blame for that, Mr. Belichick. Clark, this could be a four-year deal before they're relevant. Wow. Oh, man. Ian, what do you have to say about that? I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I thought we uh, <laughs> I, I thought we coordinated on our top 10 list earlier. We were now, simpatico now for a while. <laughs> yeah. We were simpatico. No longer the Tampa <laughs> that's, 2 here. That's that bridge <laughs> difference right there. That That's that bridge taking over. <laughs> we, we started this podcast with a shout out to Veterans Day, and I want to finish it on the same note. I want to say a belated happy birthday one day late to the U.S. Marine Corps. Tuesday was its 245th birthday. I mentioned that because my dad was a career U.S. Marine officer who served in three 
wars, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. So Semper Fi. That's going to do it. We want to thank Bill Pauline for joining us and you for listening to us. If you want to contact Ira, you can at Ira, go ahead. At iKaufman76. And you can contact me on Twitter at, at ClarkJudgeTOF. If not, catch us next week here at the iTest for Two on FullPressRadio.com. Thanks again for listening.